0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. A real quick note before today's episode starts, uh, there were some audio issues on my end in this episode, so I'll cut out a few random times, uh, sometimes cut in randomly when when Fetch is talking, thinking (laughs) that that for some reason he was the one that cut out. So uh, just something to be aware of. I've gone ahead in the editing uh, to go ahead and try to to make my statements make sense around the breaks. But if you hear something weird, that's why. Uh, But now, on to the episode. Welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitts. Today, we are recapping the last two games. Uh, we had a little bit of a bonus episode with Scott Chasen talking about football earlier this week, um, but we're getting back to our normal once a week, you know, for sure, podcast that we're doing. Uh, to, to help me do that, I have returning again to the podcast, as he usually does, Steve Fetch, our basketball editor over at Rock Chalk Talk. Fetch, how you doing tonight? Hey, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. So, I... I I want to talk about both of these games, the West Virginia game and the Oklahoma State game. Um, I do want to kind of just start, though, by saying I I saw that coming against West Virginia. <laughs> um, I was pleasantly surprised against Oklahoma State, but like losing to West Virginia, 91-79. Um, actually, if you look over at our predictions over at Rock Chalk Talk, I had the margin correct. I had the the, the score a little bit off, but, uh, you know, were were you surprised by the fact that Kansas came out and kind of laid an egg against West Virginia? even though they were able to claw back in, you know, early in the second half, um, like were you shocked at
1: all by anything that happened in that game? Well, you know, I, I think the thing that's really gotten them into trouble uh, has been the slow starts. I mean, it happened against uh, Oklahoma State, and, and it happened against Tennessee. It happened, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, against K-State, the first time they played K-State. Uh, and it certainly happened Saturday. I mean, they were down 7-2. Uh, to two. Or early and they just had nothing going they were missing layoffs left and right all that sort of thing so um you know that that part i guess it still surprises me i mean i guess it shouldn't anymore but it, it still does because uh, you're just not used to to seeing a bill self team come out so unprepared um overall you know i, I thought they would win uh i didn't really see west virginia going 11 to 21 from three uh jesse after the game jesse newell posted a thing where uh, defenses are shooting a, a pretty high percentage uh, on guarded uh, jump shot attempts. And that's something that hopefully will will even out over the course of the uh, the rest of the season here. So um, I think it's another one of those games, like the, like the Tennessee game, like the, uh, like the Texas game, where the, the losing scoreline kind of flatters the the team that won uh, a little bit. Um, but obviously, you know, Kansas did not do themselves too many favors uh, on the defensive end of the floor. and, and really, you know, offense they were okay but uh turnover wise yeah. i mean that's that's creep creeped up and started to be a problem again and i think that's kind of more attributable to uh laying an egg than a lot of other things that you do on offense for me anyway
0: yeah hey sorry I, you actually cut out a little bit there so i'm not sure if it was me cutting out or you cutting out but um kind of to your point where you know kansas didn't shoot horribly from three on their own you know seven to twenty so for for thirty five percent and you know they were twenty two of forty four um, what really hurt them again, they had eighteen turnovers,' so turning it over on twenty four percent of their possessions um you know, they turned West Virginia over a decent amount too on seventeen percent of their possessions. But the fact that West Virginia shot over fifty percent from three, which is just ridiculous when you think about it, and it wasn't like it was a bunch of guys that all are really, really good three point shooters, so you know there was a little bit of bad luck there for Kansas, which we're used to seeing for the for this k u team um and then just the fact that um You know, I mean, it seems like West Virginia did exactly what they needed to do by by lowering the number of possessions overall uh, and really kind of taking advantage of, um, you know, Kansas playing a little sloppy, not really kind of doing what they needed to do. But like you said, that 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 slow start absolutely killed them. It's been doing it all year long. Um, That's kind of what I saw that was going to happen in this game. You know, that was the one thing I specifically mentioned in the in the preview that I did. Um, or in or in my prediction was that they were going to start slow and they just couldn't afford that and they couldn't overcome that against the West Virginia team so you know I don't know that I'm necessarily too surprised by anything that happened it's obviously disappointing the fact that they can't for whatever reason get started quickly but we kind of talked about this last week you know where it seems to be an energy thing for whatever reason and I'm not really sure why they're having energy issues with this particular team um but they really do need to kind of figure it out because if they have a start like that at any point in the in the, in the NCAA tournament or the Big 12 tournament, I mean, the teams are going to be playing are probably going to be way too good for them to really have an opportunity to, to, to be able to overcome that. I mean, even if, you know, if they end up with a four or five seed playing against a 13 or a 12, we've seen it time after time. Like that's the recipe for a you know 12 or a 13 seed upset is the higher seeded team comes out, doesn't have a lot of energy you know, really has a really slow start. And then it's just a dogfight the rest of the game. And, you know, that's where the the lower-seeded team actually be able, is, is able to get that upset. So I think that's the biggest takeaway from this game is that Kansas just can't put themselves in a hole that early, especially if, you know, the opposing team is going to do what West Virginia did and just go ballistic from three.
1: Yeah, I think kind of their, their two big issues kind of feed into one another, where their other big issue, for me anyway, uh is they're just so I don't I don't really know the way to phrase it but whenever something starts going wrong it's like they expect things to to keep going wrong or they give up or something I mean I I keep I think this is about the eighth show in a row where I mentioned the second half of that Texas game where uh, a couple guys you know who were bad shooters hit a couple of threes that kind of rattled around and went in and you didn't really expect it to happen and you know Kansas kind of slumps their shoulders a little bit and then allows them to go on a huge run. I mean, it happened in the Tennessee game where uh, really Kansas was doing a pretty good job forcing them to take them, you know, tough long twos and stuff like that. And they just kept making them. Um, and it was like, rather than saying, okay, if we keep doing this, we're going to win. They just kind of said, well, what are you going to do? Let's, let's quit. Uh, in the West Virginia game, it was kind of a, a similar thing where, you know, West Virginia is taking and making a lot of really guarded threes and, and credit to them, obviously. But, um, you know, Kansas kind of, was torn between you know let's let's give up and we got to get all these points back at once type deal which obviously just causes everything to to snowball so if they can get out of that if they can get out of those slow starts uh i still think there's an opportunity for them to you know make a little run here especially with uh some other teams in the big 12 uh losing and or you know not looking quite as good as uh they did a month ago uh and then you know you you, you just never know in the ncaa tournament i mean it's a it's a one game season at that point obviously and uh, I, I know no one's going to want to see Kansas across from them, regardless of how good or not this year's team is. So, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think it's time to, to count them out yet, but uh, I definitely think that those are kind of the two big things that uh, they need to improve upon. But, um, you know, it's, it's mid-February, so is there is there time to improve on that over? I don't know.
0: Yeah. I mean, and, and kind of what you were talking about where like they, they basically give up right after, you know, almost at, at the first sign of real adversity. I mean, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy at that point because they essentially assume that they're not gonna be able to, to, to be able to, to get it turned around. And then of course they don't do the things that you would need to do in order to actually get it turned around. So, I mean, yeah, it, it's definitely unlikely when you get, dig yourself that big of a hole for you to be able to come all the way back. But you know if you assume that you're not going to be able to come all the way back then of course there's absolutely no way it's actually going to happen so um yeah i mean it 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 definitely kind of sucks there but you know i also think that kind of one of the things i've noticed with this team that is really weird for me that i'm not used to seeing um from a bill self coached team is just that when you know when when kansas um goes on a big run to be able to come back like it seems like every single time that they've done been able to actually do that the opposing coaches has to call a timeout and immediately like they lose most of the energy that they've built up, you know, going on that big run to come back. We saw it happen in West Virginia. We saw it happen against Oklahoma state earlier in the year. Um, you know, we also saw it happen against Tennessee every single time that, you know, Kansas started to make a run to come back in that game, Tennessee would hit something and then, you know, a timeout or some sort of stoppage of play and they would be extremely flat coming out of those as well. So like, it's almost, you know, I'm so used to bill self teams, no matter what the stoppage is for, he would draw up a really good play. They'd find something that they could do, you know, to really kind of extend that energy or bridge that energy over the, the gap in play. And this team, for whatever reason, just isn't able to do that. I don't know if it's personnel. I don't know if there's something else going on. Um, but you know, I think it's just one of those things. It's now become almost a feature of this team and they have to find a way to kind of push through that and to continue to play. Uh, Jumping back real quick to the point that you pointed out that, you know, Jesse Newell had uh, talked about on on Twitter about the fact that, you know, Kansas opponents are shooting not so great on unguarded threes, especially when you compare it to how well they're shooting against guarded threes. And so, like, it's one of those things, you know, no matter how good your opponents are, you expect them to shoot a higher percentage on just wide open unguarded shots than they do on guarded, And it's exactly the opposite. For this team, for whatever reason, uh, which I does I, I do think speaks to kind of that you know unlucky that we've been talking about several times um, is just the fact that it's not that Kansas isn't guarding shots, you know, it's not that they're letting tons of wide open threes happen. It's that the opponents are knocking down a bunch of shots you normally wouldn't expect them to, you know, and that that has shown up in like that. Um, I keep forgetting the name of the site that you keep talking about, but like you know the quality of shots and looking at you know how good teams are would expected to perform in particular games based on the quality of shots um but it's just one of those things it's been a really weird season for that kind of stuff too just in addition to all the really weird stuff that we're actually seeing from kansas and the way that they're actually playing so what what other big takeaways do you have from this west virginia game
1: yeah well so just just to finish that too i guess you know to expound on that a little bit more they earlier in the year i mean they they showed that kind of fight i mean you look at okay Kentucky is obviously not a very good team but they you know fought them down the stretch and and came away with a big win there and kind of a back and forth game Um, and I think you know frankly a a team like Kentucky early in the year is actually when you don't want to play them just because it's at that point more of a a talent on talent thing and Kentucky is going to out talent pretty much everybody even in a year where their their you know results aren't really that good Uh, you know you look at the Gonzaga game they came all the way back you look at and okay, NDSU is obviously not a very good team, but they, you know, showed a lot of fight to hold them off. The, the Creighton game, you know, they win by a point. Uh, at, at Texas Tech, I mean, they, they get that really nice inbounds play to Ochaibaji, and then, you know, the last possession of the game, they basically force them into a timeout and then force them to uh, a late shot, and, and they don't even really get a shot off. So uh, they've shown the ability to, you know, weather the storm. They've shown the ability to win close games before, Uh, despite, you know, having stretches where things have not gone well in those games. So I don't know if something happened. I don't know if it's, uh, you know, tied into Jalen Wilson uh, not playing well, um, which I think can kind of dovetail into um, my next point where, you know, my next big takeaway. Uh, If he's not playing well, uh, it really seems like Kansas is is sunk at this point. I mean, he had a a pretty good game uh, against West Virginia offensively uh, and against uh, Oklahoma State. Uh, as well, offensively, if I if I remember correctly, I'm going to pull up the the box score quickly. Um, yeah, I mean, not not great, but uh, certainly not bad. Um, right. But defensively, he's he's really fallen off a cliff. I don't know if it's you know he's just not suited to be a four. Um, I don't know you know exactly what's going on with him, but you know a lot of weird turnovers. Uh, defensively, just kind of losing his man, uh, losing help. Uh, not great in pick and roll coverage. Uh, just not good right now. And, and I think that's probably the big key. Um, you know, if, if he can get back to where he was, Kansas, I think can get back up into the, you know, top 15-ish, top 10-ish, maybe even uh, teams in Ken Palm, both out of him, uh, It's probably going to be a long rest of the season.
0: Well, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things, and we've talked about this several times before, but I really noticed that Jalen Wilson started to dip um, when – they had to play McCormick all the time because Bryce Thompson was gone and they couldn't really do the five guard lineup. Um, And so like, I I don't know if it's, I don't know that it's necessarily him playing out of position. I do think though, that part of his hot start because the vast majority of his minutes and his production was coming when he was playing the five, you know, earlier in the season. And so I think it's just kind of one of those things. He's had to adjust back to the normal type of role that we would expect from him when you have a big guy playing down low and he hasn't adjusted nearly as well as we would kind of hope I also do think honestly that bryce thompson being out has a larger impact on what they do than than really what we even you know see at this point because i think having him allows them to play five guard lineup a whole lot more but i also think having him takes a lot of pressure off especially defensively off of a lot of the other guards too because regardless of what bryce thompson is doing on the offense he's an absolutely phenomenal defender um he really does help to kind of pull the rest of that unit together and so like i i just i think that you know, awesome for him, especially if he's able to come back in this, you know, Iowa State game that's happening, um, like the first one on on Thursday. It'll be nice for him to kind of work his way back in with those three games and then really be ready to kind of hit his stride, hopefully, um, you know, when they play against, against Texas Tech at home on the 20th. So I just, I think that there's a lot more lineup-wise, losing Bryce Thompson does, um, that hopefully will kind of start to sort itself out Especially for Jalen Wilson when when Thompson's back in the lineup, so we'll see how all of that works out. But I do agree with you. If Wilson's not playing well, he's probably one of the biggest indi- like the the three things I think that are biggest indicators. Right? Is if McCormick is taking a whole bunch of turnaround fadeaway jumpers uh, or turnaround fadeaway hooks or whatever you want to call those um, at the rim because he doesn't really nearly make as many of those as he seems to think that he can. Um, if you know Abaji or or Brown or I guess both of them are off. Like that's key number two. If that happens, then they're in a lot of trouble. And if Jalen Wilson is is just struggling energy wise, or struggling however it is, and he like if if he's not if he's not have t- taking an active role in the game, like any two of those three things happens, and Kansas is probably in pretty big trouble.
1: Yeah, not not to be you know body language doctor with with Wilson, but he can definitely get you know really down in the dumps about you know, things going wrong in his play. And I think that probably, you know, bleeds into uh, the rest of the team, especially considering, you know, how well he played uh, early in the season and how good Kansas looked at times uh, early in the season. So if you can get back to that, and, and you know, you never know what's going on with, you know, obviously COVID and obviously with this, these people being, you know, college kids. they got school to worry about. They've got, you know, friends and, and you know, people that they're dating. And, and who knows, you know, there might, there might be something off the court going on. Uh, as well but um, if he can get back to the you know same type of energy that he had in that uh, first month of the season or so and and I still think that uh, that probably necessitates them playing the the five guard lineup a little bit more than they have been Um, I still think Kansas has the ceiling and the ability to make the the second weekend of the NCAA tournament which you know in a in a year where they're you know the least talented team that they've had under Bill Self and um, probably the least talented team they've had since I started watching them back in the late '90s. Uh, that, that would be a, a successful season, I think.
0: Yeah, it's you know it's just kind of funny that COVID also uh, coincides here with probably one of the least talented teams that they've had in quite a quite a long time. Um, you know, I, I could probably make some arguments for some of those other teams, but it would definitely be an argument at least. It wouldn't be like a you know there isn't one that that a hundred percent stands out as definitely the least talented team that they have. Um, but I do think that this one lacks the, you know, I guess, go-to guy, like the automatic, you know this is who who they're going to go to. And they've got so many other role players that all have to be playing well for this team to be um, super successful. So, I mean, I I think I do agree with you that this is kind of one of those, um, you know, it's, <laughs> it's going to be kind of difficult, I think, for this team to not go down as one of the least talented. And the fact that they're still ranked 25th uh, in Ken Palm at this point in the season – tells you that they're they're still probably a good team. That kind of tells you how spoiled we've been um, as, as Kansas fans. So, all right, I want to shift over to the Oklahoma State game real quick, though. Um, you know, the thing that jumps out to me here, I don't even know is necessarily too much about Kansas because we talked about most of the things that have happened there. Um, but but before we talk about Oklahoma State and what this might mean for the rest of the season for, for either of these two teams, what did you notice Kansas-wise that was probably the big takeaway from this particular game?
1: Yeah, you know, I think one thing, and I guess I don't know if this is Kansas-wise or, or opponent-wise, but lots of turnovers in this one, uh, which I think, you know, really helped uh, Kansas uh, get some easy baskets, obviously. I mean, they still scored under a, a point per possession, which was hindered by their own turnovers. Um, and also an a uncharacteristically bad day from two, which I, I did not really see coming. I mean, given what they did in the, in the first matchup and the fact that, you know, uh, Oklahoma State really does not have uh, – ton of defense down low i really did not see that coming but lots of missed bunnies in this one i mean they jeez louise they went you know three minutes without scoring or, or i think we had what two points in three minutes and it seemed like they missed about i don't know 12 layups in the first half i mean it was it was brutal so i definitely didn't see that coming but uh the turnover thing you know i think in, in the fact that oklahoma state didn't have an insane day from three like every other opponent seemingly has had uh, I think maybe gave a little bit of a glimpse into what Kansas uh, could be, especially as a defense once they get rolling here. And, and if teams aren't going to shoot, you know, an insane percentage, uh, you know, holding Oklahoma State to 40% shooting on twos, forcing turnovers on almost 23% of their possessions, which is a, a huge number, especially for a Bill Self team, uh, which hopefully will feed into you know transition baskets and easy baskets and make things easier on their offense as well. But um, even if not, you know, obviously if you're, if you're giving up. 84 points per 100 possessions I mean you're probably never going to lose so uh, obviously that's not going to happen every game but I think it kind of uh, sets a sets a bar or sets a ceiling for you know what this team could look like if they start clicking uh, on all cylinders and and one you know individual thing that stood out to me is you know Marcus Garrett I mean uh, pretty nice game offensively lots of turnovers obviously but five of seven uh, from two seven of eight from the free throw line and then Uh, late in the second half or, or, you know, midway through the second half, Bill Self really, you know, said, hey, you go guard Cade Cunningham, probably the most talented player in the country. Uh, And and Marcus Garrett, you know, didn't shut him down every possession, obviously. You know, Cade still made some threes and and still made some nice plays and stuff, but really made things difficult on him, picked his pocket a couple times, forced him into some really tough shots. Uh, And I think, you know, your earlier point about Bryce Thompson coming back, uh, Bryce Thompson can play on the ball a little bit more, let Marcus Garrett take some breaks offensively where he can really utilize that defensive ability that he has to just take whoever he wants. Really. Uh, if he can do it to Kate Cunningham uh, out of the game and, and make them a non factor uh, that also, you know, heightens Kansas's ceiling a little bit going forward too. Cause you look at potential second round, you know, sweet 16, hopefully round uh, matchups in the NCAA tournament. A lot of these teams, if you can take out their one perimeter player, you make them a lot easier to beat. So, uh, that I think, uh, you know, Marcus Garrett's hopefully anyway, uh, resurgence would be, uh, one thing that I really noticed.
0: Yeah. I mean, and, and also kind of just like, I realized that Kansas defense isn't rating very high in Ken Palm. What has really kind of jumped out and you saw you know, a lot in that Oklahoma state game was the fact that Kansas is one of the better two point, um, you know, defensive teams, Um, they're, they're number one in the conference right now, their opponents aren't even shooting 45% from two, which is an absolutely phenomenal number, um, in conference play. And so like that, that tells you what kind of strength this team has in, you know, denying the entry passes. And when they actually get in there, like, it seems like McCormick and Lightfoot and everyone else that's kind of in the middle, there is doing a really good job of keeping the opponents from getting clean looks, um, which is definitely going to help. Obviously, you know, (laughs) The the opposing team getting hot from three is going to be a big issue no matter where you are in the season. But it's also kind of one of those things that, as we've talked about, is largely out of your control. It's still a very, very solid defensive team. And as long as they keep playing the way they need to play, they are going to be more successful, I think, than they've actually been to date so far. Um, and And, I mean, that's kind of what you're talking about there where, like, you know, Garrett had a phenomenal game defensively. Um, and and is going to continue to be able to do that. I do agree with you too that when you know when when Thompson comes back, not only is, is it going to give Garrett more I guess leeway to, to lock someone down defensively, um, but Thompson is a is a decent ball handler um, and you know being a third option, having him on the floor makes it a little bit easier for people to actually get what they need to um, than when you're trying to you know put Garrett and and Harris and uh, McCormick on the floor. And so it'll give Garrett a little bit more freedom in doing what he can actually do well offensively, um, which should just help raise the entire offensive ceiling for this team. So um, back back to this particular game, though, kind of what you were talking about with Cade Cunningham, not only did Garrett do a really good job, I think, of shutting him down in in large portions of that game, though the one thing that I kind of noticed, and, and, and I know that we don't usually talk too much about opposing players unless they're you know the ones we're getting ready to play but i found it a little strange that uh you know Cade cunningham can seems to get flustered in big moments of some of these games now he can he can kind of flop back and forth and you know come up with big shots because like you know <laughs> it was it was all over the place on twitter uh how the kansas students um you know or whatever fans were in there were chanting overrated at Cade cunningham while he was shooting free throws and he missed the second one and then of course he came down like the next possession and, and hit just a three to you game that they ended up losing the week before. Um, you know, and it, so it seems to me that he can get a little bit flustered. Um, and I mean, anything that you've noticed in that range, or, or do you think? I mean, because honestly, I get the feeling that this that we're probably going to face Oklahoma State again in the Big 12 tournament. Um, I don't know why. I just for some reason I'm getting that feeling. So is that something that you think is, um, well, one, do you agree with my assessment there? And two, do you, do you think that that could actually have an impact on either seating for the big 12 tournament or, you know, impact the big 12 in some fashion moving forward?
1: Yeah. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm really impressed with him. I think one thing uh, that I think people kind of, um, you know, he's not a super explosive athlete. So I think that gets people to think that he's maybe not uh, as good as the, you know, plot it suggests and stuff. And I mean, he's you know, turnover rate is higher than his assist rate and stuff like that. And he's not super efficient from two and everything like that. But, you know, I think when you watch uh, Oklahoma state play or watch him play uh, you kind of have to realize that his teammates, you know, by and large, aren't really that good. And he's kind of dragging them to whatever record that they have. And I, you know, I've kind of soured on Mike Boynton as a coach too. Uh, I don't know that he's really necessarily putting his guys in the best spots to to do anything either. So, I think all that kind of kind of goes into the the same package. I think right. I think he does get you know kind of probably flustered and frustrated with some of his teammates and some of the stuff they do. And you know, uh, next year he's not going to have uh, you know three guys uh, every time he dribbles the ball hounding him and stuff like that. Or or if he does, he's going to be able to pass it. You know, Fran made this point uh, a thousand times, which you know people can a Get <laughs> yeah, people, people can kind of get on Fran. When, And, and fairly, but I think he was right. You know, that, that, that you maybe don't have to point it out every single freaking time that it happens, but, uh, he's right that, you know, next year he's going to be able to pass to a a wide open shooter is going to be able to knock down that shot. So you're not going to be able to leave him that sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, I think he's, uh, I think the, the point that he does get, you know, flustered and stuff is fair, but I don't really blame him either. So, um, I still like him. I still hope the, the wolves lose a bunch so that they can draft him. Um, although I, I know (laughs) that the, uh, I know that the fat cast in charge of the NBA won't let him win the lottery two years in a row, so I'm already prepared to to be disappointed.
0: Yeah, yeah, it would be uh, it would be interesting to see him up there in in Minnesota. I think, but uh, all right, I I think we're also going to have to have some sort of conversation slash argument in the off season about Mike Boynton. Um, but I think we have wildly different opinions of of the job that he's actually doing up there. But well, that is well.
1: Let, let, here's uh, let me just outline my my very brief Mike Boynton case. I think they can definitely keep him. He, he kind of uh, reminds me a lot of Scott Drew, where the guys obviously love uh, playing for him. Or I guess I should say early Scott Drew. The guys obviously love playing for him, but he does a lot of really, you know, dumb stuff. And, and maybe, you know, the X's and O's aren't great and stuff like that. If he can, you know, Scott Drew's clearly improved in that area. If he can too, uh, I think he'll be a really good coach. But for now, I mean, he's, he's got a few missing pieces, I think.
0: Yeah, I think what you're failing to realize or failing to take account for is the fact that, I mean, he's not a super experienced coach. Like, you know, he has, he obviously has some areas to improve, but he's doing a really good job. He's absolutely loved by everyone that's there. And I think he's handled everything. Actually, I'm sorry. This is his first head coaching job. So he's only had four years now of head coaching experience, including this year. So the fact that he's where they are and he was able to get a guy like Cade Cunningham, like. I think he's doing absolutely everything that you can expect from a guy, not only in his first job, but also, you know, at Oklahoma state and kind of trying to rebuild them the way that they need to, especially given kind of the drama that they've had in trying to actually find a head coach. So it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's one of those things. I'm probably willing to give him a little bit more of a leash than most people probably would kind of knowing where they were and where they're coming from. And, you know, he's a guy that everybody absolutely loves. And I think he's also doing it the right way. Like just like, uh, you know, I, I absolutely couldn't stand, uh, or I, I still can't stand the way that Shaka smart coaches, but in terms of all the off the court stuff that he's been doing, you know, especially during the pandemic and all the social justice stuff, like, I think he absolutely does all of that the right way. And I think it helps build him a lot of goodwill. And of course it also helps that they're actually a really good team this year. So, um, all right, we, I do want to go ahead and turn to the the games coming up this week. I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the rock chalk podcast. We love the whole Big 12, and we are available everywhere that podcasts are found. So go and find the 1012 Podcast and subscribe today. And we're back. All right, so I don't know that there's going to be a lot of discussion to be had about these next three games because it is at home against Iowa State, on the road against Iowa State. That's on Thursday and then Saturday, so two days apart from each other. And then on Wednesday... Um, you know, that, that game's been moved. I'm not really sure the reason that it's been moved, but it's been moved. The Kansas State-Kansas game, um, which is also on ESPN+, Plus, which is a little bit infuriating, uh, but that is going to be next Wednesday. I'm not sure if we're going to be recording before that one or after that one, so we'll go ahead and talk about it right here. I don't think there's going to be too much to take away from this, but, like, the only thing that I take away from, from any of these three games is that I really don't like the fact that they are playing the game at home against Iowa State first and then going two days later on the road to Iowa State. Um, if Iowa State was going to have an opportunity to pull off an upset, I would think that that's kind of the the perfect scenario for them to be able to do that where, you know, you get your first shot at Kansas. Nothing's really going to change much between those two teams, but you're going to go from being on the road in that hostile environment to then being able to, to be more comfortable at home, you know, and once you finally started to kind of maybe figure things out, give yourself an opportunity, then you're going to be at home playing against them for another 40 minutes to go ahead and try to actually pull off an upset there. Any thoughts about either of these games or, or I guess any of these three games?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I mentioned this in the preview that I uh, erroneously posted early, but uh, Iowa state, even though they don't have a big 12 win uh, yet, has been close a couple of times and they're actually, you know, like 70 spots or so higher in Ken Palm and K state. So they're certainly a better team than K state uh, for my money. Uh, so they're, you know, Kansas should win, obviously, uh, both of these games against them, but, um, I wouldn't be terribly surprised either if we're sitting, you know, 15 minutes into the first half, uh, in one of these two games and Kansas is only up by two or three points or maybe down by a couple of points. And we're wondering, you know, what the heck's going on, that sort of thing. Um, they also have, you know, Rasir Bolton, who's a better player than anybody K-State has and someone they really need to, uh, look out for, but. Um, yeah, I think they should win these two relatively easily and, and probably the K-State game relatively easily as well, uh, which hopefully will propel them towards the, uh, the end of the season here, uh, get them on a little run maybe and improve those efficiency numbers a little bit and stuff, which which need a little bit of a boost. Um, and, and, yeah, I mean, if they, if they lose any of these, I mean, then we can start probably writing some uh, obituaries for the 2021 20, season.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think I can agree with that. The only other... Kind of interesting note at this point, I think, is that Iowa State is kind of just biding their time. I'm not sure if they're going to fire Steve Prom after the end of this year, um, just because it's not like the athletic department is, you know, requiring or is really kind of counting on basketball uh, to be super engaging for their fans, like men's basketball, because the, the women's basketball team is really good. Obviously, the football team's been pretty good. So it's not had, had quite the same sense of urgency as they have in the past of making sure they have a really good basketball program as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if Steve Prom is able to keep, you know, keep his job. Um, and if he does, then that means that probably next year isn't gonna be much better for this team. So we'll we'll just kind of have to see. Like that's the only other bit of I think of, of of intrigue. And if he's able to pull off one of these two wins, I think that would go a long way to getting people to begrudgingly accept that he's gonna be here for another year. So um not saying that I want Kansas to lose one of these so that Steve Prom will stick around for another year. But, you know, I just I think it's kind of one of that's like the only other potentially interesting thing to really keep an eye on here. So. All right, so um, that's it for like look ahead. I, I, I told you there probably wasn't going to be that much to talk about. So I did have a question that I wanted to ask you Fats, before we get to the random sports minute for the day. Um, And I kind of bounced it off you before we started recording. So hopefully you've had some time to think about it and actually have a a, a, a cogent answer here for me. Um. You know, I've I've seen several teams during different broadcasts, um, you know, talking about all the different teams in the Big Twelve, or other people on Twitter kind of throw around, oh well, you know, this particular team that we're watching right here is, you know, probably the second best team in the Big Twelve right now. Um, I think you can make that argument for a lot of different teams. You know, Kansas potentially, West Virginia, Texas, Texas Tech, um, Oklahoma. Of those five, because I, I mean, I, I think we all are in agreement that it's you know those five. Um, unless you really think that Oklahoma State deserves to be up there as well. But um, which of those teams do you think has the best argument for being the second best team in the Big 12 right now?
1: Yeah, so it kind of depends on, on how you look at it, right? If you're looking at just straight up talent, I probably would take Texas. Uh, I think they probably have the, the deepest, best collection of players. If you're looking at, you know, just Ken Palm rating, it's West Virginia right now. Of course, that has, you know, vacillated heavily over the last, Know, a couple of weeks. Uh, if you're looking at how they played in Big 12 play, uh, Oklahoma is actually second in the Big 12 in terms of efficiency margin. Uh, they're right around uh, eight-ish, plus plus eight-ish points per 100 possessions. If I did my quick math there, which is you know two or three points higher than uh, Texas Tech, West Virginia, and Kansas, and Texas, which are kind of the next four uh, in the group there. Um, I, you know, I still think Kansas might have an argument if they go out and, and, you know, blow Iowa State out twice in Kansas State. I mean, you know, you remember basically every other team uh, in the league has played uh, those teams, you know, two or three times each rather than just the one for Kansas. So I think their number is maybe a little bit uh, artificially lower. But, um, you know, if if you put them all out on the floor right now and you ask me, you know, one of these teams has to – uh, win a round-robin tournament, I guess. Uh, that would be the fairest way to do it, or else you die, you know, type deal. Uh, <laughs> I think I would I th- I think I would pick Texas. So um, I'm sticking with them for now, and I think a lot of this, you know, the, the loss against Oklahoma State, they missed uh, a ton of just wide-open threes. Um, you know, they lost by a point to Oklahoma. They played Baylor, you know, relatively well uh, before Baylor pulled away, and then obviously, you know, they had kind of a, a hiccup against K-State where they only won by three, but... For me, anyway, they're they're still uh, the second-best team in the league. Uh, they, do, they do the most things well and, and do the least things uh, poorly out of all the contenders.
0: Yeah, the the other thing to keep in mind with Texas is that, you know, they were coming off of a COVID, um, well, I don't, I don't think it was a COVID pause, but they had COVID issues where, you know, Shaka Smart wasn't available. They had several players that were affected by COVID. Um, it takes a while for them to get back. You know, after, you know, while they're technically cleared to play, getting back up to like your normal, you know, standard of play, um, it takes a while. I think they're finally back to that point now where you can expect basically the entire roster to be at full strength. Um, you know, and obviously that game against Kansas State was a little questionable, a little, a little troublesome. Um, but it's also, you know, one of those things that I think every team in the Big 12 is going to have at least one of those types of scares. Uh, you know, Kansas hopefully had their only one against TCU at home. So, like, I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things that it's not it's not disqualifying for me that they barely beat Kansas State on the road, um, but they definitely do need to kind of get things turned around. I think if you're talking about momentum-wise, though, I, I mean, I think that West Virginia is the team that probably is, you know, on the biggest streak is, is playing the hottest right now. Um, but overall, like, I think I have to agree with you that it's, I mean, it's, it's too close to call in a lot of cases. Um, I would probably give it to Oklahoma or Texas at this point. But to your point about Kansas, like, you know, the fact that their rating has been dragged down by so much of that, you know, three-point luck that we've been talking about um, makes you wonder what the actual true level for this Kansas team is. Like, are they fairly close to where they're at right now? Um, and we're going to see them struggle with a couple of, you know, these two games against Iowa State or the game against Kansas State coming up. Um, or are they being overly affected by, you know, in terms of how the ratings go by the absolutely insane three-point luck that they've, you know, run up against and kind of not having the easy games on their schedule um, spaced very well out throughout that schedule. So just having to deal with like the absolute onslaught of really tough teams. So we will, I think, get a a fairly good sense of that probably by this time next week by depending on on how competitive these games are to see if Kansas even has an actual decent shot at being, you know, quote unquote, the second best team in in the Big 12 at this point. But, I mean, I do think that if if we're talking about it, it's probably those three. uh, I would probably say West Virginia, Texas, and Kansas. Um, West Virginia because of momentum. Kansas, I think, just because of, you know, schedule, unluckiness, and then kind of, you know, not really knowing for sure where they are. And then Texas, because I think they are still the most talented team. Um, Shaka Smart's been doing a phenomenal job this year so far. Um, And this, the fact that like their struggles that they've had have coincided with COVID related issues makes me think that um, maybe it's, you know, more COVID than it is the team not performing um, similar to the way that Shaka's teams have faded in the past. I I don't think that's actually it this time. So, all right. So uh, let's go ahead and wrap up now. I'm assuming you have a random sports minute for us. So, so what do you got for us this week?
1: Uh, yeah, su- super quick. We're going to uh, highlight the uh, retirement of a uh, skier, Ted Ligety. He uh, burst onto the scene uh 2006, won the uh, Nordic Combined event, which is basically you do a run of downhill and then two runs of slalom, which is like the short one where you go around the poles. And uh, I'm doing this off memory, so I don't, I'm just from reading the thing earlier, but he uh, was like in 30th place or something like that after the downhill and then came all the way back to – to win after the slalom and then, uh, one, uh, shoot, I can't remember which other, which other gold medal he won something in 2014 at the, at the Sochi Olympics, I know, but anyway, two time uh, Olympic champion, uh, has won a bunch of other, you know, world championships and, and world cup races and all that stuff. So, uh, quick, quick one this week, but, but shout out to him. He is one of the, you know, I'm a, I'm a big Olympics nerd. He's one of the things that I, uh, for whatever reason, remember most about, you know, watching the Olympics when I was younger. So, uh, Ted Ligeti shout out and, uh, enjoy retirement.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm definitely getting geared up for the Olympics that are coming, uh, in the summer. So, um, hopefully it could be, you know, should be interesting. Um, uh, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. And, uh, you know, it's kind of the one three week period that happens every four years. That is more exciting for me than even than even March Madness, um, which is, you know, like my favorite time of the year, in year usually, just because of all the games you have going on. But um, so, yeah, de- definitely um, love it when we highlight some of those Olympic sports. Um, so, yes, no, I, I agree. Definitely enjoy your retirement there. Um, well deserved at that point. So, all right. Uh, I think that's going to go ahead and, and uh, do it for us tonight, unless you had any other final thoughts about KU or the Big 12 or anything else before we get out of here.
1: No, I no I think we hit it all pretty good. All right, sounds good.
0: And that's going to do it for us tonight. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you haven't already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts. Whether it's your Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast so you can subscribe to the podcast and get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you can leave us a rating and a review as well, five stars and nice comments would be absolutely great. But if you can't do that for whatever reason, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you ever have any comments, questions, suggestions, if you want to try to interview, anything like that, you can contact me by email. Email at rockchalkpodcastgmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. You can also get your voice on the show. Do that by going to anchor.fm slash rock chalk podcast slash message. Leave us a voicemail. I promise we'll get it on the show for you. But that's going to do it for us tonight. Thanks again for listening, guys, and we will catch you next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast.
1: Podcast Network.